Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. I'm so grateful you've joined us for our study through the doctrine of repentance. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon on the doctrine of repentance. Well, why don't you open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 9 to 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 9 to 13. Tonight, as we conclude our 10 week long doctrine of repentance study, we are going to centralize on motivations to speedily repent. What a great way to end the study. Last week we heard reasons to repent, and now we're going to finish off with the exclamation point of motivations to speedily repent. Motivations to speedily repent. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 to 13. Paul writes, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to repentance. For you were made to have a godly sorrow, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For godly sorrow produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world brings about death. For, behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has brought about in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, What avenging of wrong in everything. You demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. I wrote to you that your earnestness on our behalf might be manifested to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. Comfort is at the end of repentance. Comfort for all those involved is at the end of repentance. If you do not feel comforted this evening, you should ask yourself before anything else, have I repented? Is there something that I've not repented for? There's comfort waiting for you. There's comfort there. Now, Paul hates, Paul who wrote this letter, hates that he made the Corinthians sad He doesn't like that inherently, but he loves that sadness led to life-giving repentance. He has, as it were, lifted a mirror so that they could see their own repentance so that they're comforted by it. He's lifting the mirror. He's saying, look it. You see what God has done in you? Do you see? You've been brought to repentance by his kindness, and this will bring them comfort. 
You see, this is so very important for us to do in one another's lives. So very important for us to lift the mirror and to say, you know what? I see repentance in your life. You should be greatly comforted. This is a ministry that we have. This is part of the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what's fascinating is he gives seven characteristics of their repentance. He lifts up the mirror and they see seven characteristics in written form of their repentance. This will be very important for your small group time. I want you guys to take these very carefully. First, he says, behold, look, you see the mirror, look, what? earnestness, this very thing, this godly sorrow has brought about in you. Earnestness. Their repentance is earnest. The Greek verb is the word speudo. Now, that's not to be confused with speedo, but it is to be associated with speed. That's where we get the English word speed. Now, just look, he says, how fast holy pain has led you to repent. Look how quick this happened. That's a mark of repentance. Fastness, speed, earnestness is a mark of repentance. Repentance rapidly abandons sin. Look how fast, he says. Secondly, he writes... What vindication of yourselves. Now, this one's a little bit tricky. It's the word in Greek, apology. We get apology from it. The Greek is to defend oneself. That sounds counterintuitive to repentance, doesn't it? To, re- to defend oneself against accusation. Now, you might think to yourself, man, isn't that the exact opposite of all that we've learned about repentance in the last nine weeks? But listen carefully. Paul is saying, look how fast you condemned yourself and confessed your guilt in order to receive God's pardon. The only way that you and I defend ourselves is not by justifying ourselves. That's the definition of self-righteousness. But we condemn ourselves so that God is quick to pardon us. That's how we defend ourselves. Make it plain to God, condemn ourselves to hell, and he brings us by the wings of repentance to heaven. Repentance will defend self by the king's blood and not our own. Thirdly, what indignation, he says, what indignation. Now, this is a colorful description. This is how teething babies feel. How do teething babies feel? They feel irritation. It's irritation. It's that annoyance that you get when you are inescapably discomforted. Do you know that restlessness? Have you ever been in bed and like you've got a rash that's itching or something and you cannot go to sleep? You've got to keep scratching. You cannot get rest. It is an incurable, insolvable irritation. That's how babies feel when their teeth are cutting through their gums. Look how inconsolably angry you have become with your sin. This is a healthy mark of repentance. Repentance will hate sin. And yes, repentance will even go so far as to hate self for the sin. To hate my flesh 
It's me. It's my heart. I hate it. Fourthly, what fear. What fear. Repenters are filled with fear. Tender hearts tremble. Uh, Here's the question for you tonight. Do you freak out at bees? That's the most important question to ask yourselves this evening. Uh, I imagine many of the ladies in the room might be a little squirmish when it comes to bees. Now, why have we all seen some girls and maybe some guys behave like lunatics when a bee starts buzzing around them? Most often, it's because they've been stung sometime in the past. Isn't that true? Been stung sometime in the past. No offense to you who are allergic to bees. I totally understand that. But if you've been stung, you start to feel a little bit squeamish around bees, a little frantic around bees. Now, repenters view sins like girls and allergic folks view bee stings. They freak out. They scream at them. Watch this. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Proverbs 28 says, happy is he who always fears. Happy is he, and this is spoken in relationship to the fear of the Lord, to fear or opposition to sin. Fear and don't sin. Demons sin, but don't fear. You see? Fifthly, what longing? He brings the mirror up and he says, what longing you should see in your repentance. Oh, how much longing there's been because repentance longs to slay. Repentance longs to slay. Repenters fantasize about killing their sins. They fantasize about killing the flesh. They want power over sin to be free of sin. And they discover this is true more and more the older they get. True repenters say with Paul in Romans 7, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I want to be delivered. I want to be free of it. The repenter has escaped hell like a prisoner still shackled. He's escaped the prison, but he's still got ball and chain. He, he hasn't freed himself as much as he wishes to be free. Yes, he's out of bondage, but still there's a lagging weight. He, he can't run in purity the way that he longs to run. He's free in a very real sense, but he wants to run. And the stupid flesh is prohibiting that, hindering that, tripping that. Well, take comfort if you've been freed from hell and still have that weight weighing on you. Sixthly, zeal. What? Zeal. Notice this. Desires are nothing without zeal. I'll say it again. 
your desires mean nothing without zeal. Zeal is what pushes desires past, over, and beyond opposition. Desires often fizzle out when opposition comes. Zeal pushes them through opposition. Zeal is the fire under the sacrifice of praise. Fear, on the one hand, muzzles sin. Zeal motivates obedience. Fear muzzles sin. Zeal motivates obedience. Seventh and finally, not for the message, but for the section. This is just the introduction, okay? What avenging of wrong. This is a hateful revenge. Part and parcel to our repentance is a hateful revenge. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, got me again. I will take my revenge. I will take my revenge. Empowered by the Spirit, forgiven by the blood, loved by the Father, I will take my revenge. This is not the final word on this fight. No repentance holds an avenging of the wrong suffered. Thomas Cranmer was a Puritan back in the 1500s and He was put to death in 1555, but the story is more interesting than that. Initially, Thomas Cranmer infamously had recanted when Bloody Mary, she was the Catholic queen, had persecuted him and the Puritans. He had recanted. He had been faced with the burning fire, and he said, you know what, I'm I'm actually going to preserve my life. I recant. I give up. He's put in prison and he was tormented over his cowardice. In anguish that he had so defamed his savior, his Lord, his king and the lover of his soul. And so he quickly told them, I recant of my recantation. Burn me. And before an audience, he got up to the stake. And willfully, I want you to to understand this, picture this. This was a real human like you and I. This was a real human, mind you, the benefit of the story is that he's weak like you and I. He got up to that fire and he was so compelled by the love of Christ, so compelled by the love of Christ to hate his sin that he raised his hand and he said, this hand signed my recantation and with it I willingly put it in the fire. And he stuck it in the flames and it melted before people's eyes. Can you imagine that? The pain. The grace from God to endure such pain. And then with his hand, his entire body. David sinned with, his, with Bathsheba on his bed. And then on that same bed, wet it, soaked it with his tears of repentance. The Ephesian magicians set their books on fire. Zacchaeus gave half his fortune away and repaid all that he defrauded 400%. There's vengeance, there's revenge and repentance. Now, we have a very necessary caution 
a very necessary caution. I'm praying that tonight, my prayer is for tonight to be an exclamation point on this whole series, that this is imprinted on your soul for the rest of your lives. I look forward in the decades to come when you are old and gray to come up and say that series changed my life. Not because you're smart, Sam. Not because you're a good speaker, Sam. I'm borrowing all of this from Watson. But because I learned what it is to repent. And that series spared me decades of fake repentance. A necessary caution. I want to shock us a little bit. (laughs) I'm going to put massive breaks on our study. Nine weeks we've been marching strong. And now I'm going to throw the brakes on this and say that repentance can be too emphasized. What? Are you kidding me, Sam? Yes. The great Protestant Reformation sought to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And if you go and visit and hear Roman Catholic doctrine you know that they make repentance a sacrament. A sacrament. Now, there are only two sacraments in Scripture. There's baptism and the Lord's table. And these are two highly significant symbols that we do outwardly. But repentance is not something that can be done outwardly. Only God can see repentance. Christ never made repentance a sacrament. You see, repentance deserves nothing. It gains no merit. But repentance prepares us for everything. We have to be very careful here. God is very pleased, but not satisfied by our repentance. It's not our repentance that satisfies a holy God. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not even my repentance can wash my sins away. Oh, let us be careful that we do not make a Savior out of our repentance. There's only one Savior. There's only one. Trusting in repentance makes a Savior out of it. Never rest that your heart is wounded by your sins. Only rest that your Savior was wounded by your sins. You see, that's our resting place. That's where we live. That's where we lie, as in lie down. Has God given you a repenting heart? Has God given you, sweet person, made in the image of God? You're going to live forever. Do you understand that? That's how significant it is to be made in the image of God. Has God given you a repenting heart? Will you live forever with the God-man reigning on a new earth and a new cosmos for his glory? Or will you be a horror of his justice in torment forever? Has God given you a repenting heart? My prayer is that everyone in this room, right this second, the Lord would give you a repenting heart. And if he's given you a repenting heart, do you want comfort? Do you want comfort for your soul? 
three comforts. Number one, your sin is forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. Psalm 32, how blessed. Uh, Human language cannot wrap its arms around how blessed. And so we are limited to those two words. How blessed. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed is the person who doesn't lie about how sinful they are. They can be free and they could say, I'm wicked beyond measure. You could say you're worst about me. I'm doubly worse than that. How blessed are those who are forgiven? Psalm 103, bless Yahweh, O my soul. You see, this is what we do. I'm I'm finding that I have to do this more and more as, as I get older in the Lord. Bless Yahweh, O soul. Wake up, get with it, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. You see, God crowns the forgiven. To be repentant is to be royalty. Isaiah 44 says that God evaporates our sins like a mist so that his sunny love pours forth. It's just wonderful. Secondly, God will pass an act of oblivion. He he, he totally forgets your sins, as he puts it. He obliviates them. If God forgets it, then it's non-existent. He says, I will remember their sin no more, Jeremiah 31. You remember, Peter's denials were cast so far into the sea of God's infinite forgetfulness that Peter has to this day never heard a word about them. Never At the judgment, our sins will be rolled out, laid out as a black felt for the diamonds of God's grace. And that's their only purpose. Look how much I loved you. Look how much I pardoned. I won't even name them. Look at me. I love you. I died for you. Thirdly, your conscience that referee in your soul that tells you what's right and wrong, it'll finally rest in peace. Repentance takes us bold to God in prayer. Now heirs of his kingdom, encircled with his promises, even death will greet the repentant as a friend to serve us. But we won't race to repent unless we remove obstacles that are in our way. There are obstacles. Here's the second part, guys, for your discussion tonight. There are obstacles that are in your way to repent. What are those obstacles? How can we flatten those trippers that we don't see? We need to see them. First, and these might be more prominent in some than others. 
But be asking yourself, oh Lord, teach me which are the obstacles that are getting in my way of repenting. First, you do not think that you need repentance. You know, Jesus, the glorified Jesus, mocks an entire church in Revelation 2 to 3. Mocks not in an unloving way, but mocks to get their attention. He says, you say, I'm rich and need nothing. What are you talking about? We don't take medicine if we think we're well. Malachi, the prophet in the Old Testament, says that God gently calls, return to me and I will return to you. But the sinners respond in Malachi, why should we return? You see, they think they've never left. They've built a false notion, a false religion by which they can deceive themselves into thinking that they've never left him. Why, why, why should we return? We, we never left. Secondly, you might think that it's the easiest thing in the world to repent. I'll just do it. I'll do it before things get too serious. I'll simply pray a prayer. I'll sigh and say, Lord, have mercy. Such easy repentance is just boldness in sin. Is it easy to be under a planet of guilt? People that think that repentance is that, just praying a prayer like it's some magic potion or formula, don't realize that they're under a planet of sin. Can a sinner simply jump from sin to glory? Is it that simple? Sinners would rather lose Christ and lose heaven than lose their sin. Death may part lovers, but death will not part sins from the wicked and unrepentant. It is not so easy to repent. Thirdly, you might think presumptuously of God's mercy. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and so many accidentally perish. They die in their sins, dreaming, oh, Christ has died, and he did it all for me so that I could sit here and do nothing. And they suck death from the tree of life and they die right beside a savior. Isn't that a horrifying thought? Psalm 130 says, with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I don't know why this keeps pulling down my back. I apologize. That you may be feared, not that we may sin. With you, there is forgiveness. And there are many American so-called Christians who complete that verse saying, with you, there's forgiveness that I may sin all the more. That's not what it says. With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Fourthly, you have a very lazy and sluggish attitude. You might have a very lazy and sluggish attitude. Repentance is tedious. Repentance requires great effort. It requires constant agony. Here's the simple question for you. If you're lazy, would you rather sleep to hell or weep to heaven? There it is. Fifthly, you enjoy the tickling pleasures of your sin too much. 
You see, sin is the sweetest tea swirling with poison. It's a perversion of something God made good. That's all that sin is. How can I kill what I love? You see, sin might be your Delilah. It's, it's Delilah's lap where strong Samson found his grave. Sixthly, you think that repentance will murder your joy. If I repent, I'll stop having fun. No, repenting does not crucify joy. Repenting clarifies joy for us. Isaiah 57 says, this is God speaking, I dwell, I live with the one who has a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, a crushed spirit, to revive the heart of the crushed ones. My friends, some of you, may not even know what it's like to have a living, throbbing, beating heart that sees the world in full color. And it's because you've not yet repented. C.S. Lewis says that I believe in Christ. I'm reminded of this quote right now because it's beaming in my face. He says, "I, I, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not only do I see it, but by it I see all things. And until you've repented and come into a living relationship with Christ Jesus, you've not even seen creation for what it is. You've not seen life's joys for what they are. Seventh, you suffer from despondency of mind. Jeremiah 18 says, Return now every one of you from his evil way. And they responded and said, There's no hope. My friends, let me tell you this. If you are hearing the word of God tonight and you're hearing him say, repent, I will graciously pardon you entirely. I love you. Repent. Turn to me. The stupidest thing you could say is, oh, there's no hope for me. That is disbelief. That is disbelief right between the father's eyes directed at his forehead. He is saying, repent, I'll forgive you. And you say, oh, there's no hope for me. That's saying, I don't believe you. That's disbelief. Stop that and come, listen to him. Why entertain such hard thoughts of God who says that his mercy is his glory in Exodus 33. He's the father of mercies in 2 Corinthians 1. That means there's no droplet of mercy in your and my heart that does not come from him. He's the father of all mercies. No sooner will you and I mourn over our sin than God will melt in his heart. He does not need us to convince us So call off the army of your sins from all their attack and God will sound the retreat of all his judgments. No hope, you say? No hope? Eighth, hope of impunity. You think that you will be impugned. You think that you're exempt from judgment. And the reason you think that, the reason sinners think that, is because they see God's patience and they think, I've never been judged before by God and therefore that means logically I'll never be judged by God. What a foolish, faithless conclusion to make. You know that God bribes men to repent. 
He bribes them with copious seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, months, years, decades even. Revelation 2.21, King Jesus says, I gave her space to repent, and she did not repent. No wonder hell is hot. Sins against patience make hell all the hotter. Ninth, fear of reproach. You might not be repenting because you fear that repenting is embarrassing. Why would you let the opinion of insane people affect you? Why be affected? Why blush by laughing madmen? If someone was insane, if some homeless person came up to these glasses, these windows, and they were laughing at us, clearly insane, would you blush? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I so badly want that person's approval. That's just absolutely madness. Uh, Would we rather men scoff as we repent or God damn since we did not? I mean, it's pretty easy, isn't it? The word of God cleans our minds so that we see reality. Martin Luther said, Christianus quasi crucianus. Sounds like something from Harry Potter, I know. But it means a Christian is as if crucified. We're dead. We're done. We're on the cross. People are going by. Let them mock. Let them laugh. We're with our Savior. We're crucified with Christ. This is where we belong. Insults are splinters off his cross. Did Christ take it to heart? Did he blush? Was he embarrassed there on the cross? No, he despised the shame, and so should we. Tenth, perhaps you're not repenting because you have an immoderate amount of love for the world. Worldliness bewitches. We'd rather have the respect or those riches or that relationship than repent. Thorns choke out the word as we heard this morning. Countless are called, Jesus said. Few are chosen. Gold things stop. Silver tears. Has anyone in the room ever heard of a sardonic grin? You ever heard that phrase before? Maybe an English major? A sardonic grin. It's the kind of grin that the Joker has in the Batman, okay? Think of the cartoon Joker. Now, Sardinia, home of sardines, that's where we get sardines from, is an island off the coast of which country? Italy. Come on, for crying out loud, you're college students. And that's where deadly hemlock grows. Hemlock is a plant that's highly poisonous. Assassins in the ancient world would kill their targets with it. Tyrants would use it for capital punishment. You might remember famously Socrates, the Greek philosopher, was forced to drink this poison. It would paralyze the victim And then, talk about creepy, its effects would make their muscles in their face grin. That's creepy, huh? Sends shivers down your spine. 
worldliness is hemlock killing us smiling and grinning. We now close our study with means to repent. Means to repent. And I am very motivated to close this study because I cannot see anyone in the room (laughs) right now. First, I think we've got four points, six points. Repentance requires serious consideration. Serious consideration. Seriously consider. Think. 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 Psalm 119.59, the psalmist says, I thought on my ways. I thought on my ways and turned. I repented. Turned my feet toward your testimonies. The prodigal regained his senses and then he thought to himself. One of the th- I'm going to be preaching that, not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday after. And it struck me that he's rehearsing a speech to say to his father. That's what repentance does. It thinks, it seriously considers. Consider what sin is. Consider the evils of sin. It's number one. Consider the evils of sin. Each step towards sin is a stride away from Christ. Isaiah 1 says, they have forsaken Yahweh. They are utterly estranged. Growing far from light is growing near to darkness. Sin walks contrary to God. Leviticus 26, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me. Isaiah 30, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's what sin does. Sin is offensive to God. Sin is an offense on God. Sin is an attack on God. Nehemiah 9 says, they cast your law behind their back like a bouquet of flowers at a wedding, and they killed your prophets. Christian, listen carefully. God created you. Listen, listen everyone. God created you, whether you're a Christian or not. But Christians, listen up. Not only did God create you, he purchased you with his own blood. You are doubly owned at least by God. Don't steal from him. And every time you sin, you steal from him what he deserves. Sin is ignorance. Jeremiah 9 says they proceed from evil to evil. They graduate from evil to another form of evil and they don't know me, declares Yahweh. They don't know me. That's why they do this. Every sin we commit is because we lack knowledge of God. We're not bringing what we know about God into our minds. We're not growing in knowledge of God. Do you know, I don't know, Jake, do you know this? Eagles will roll in sand, big eagles will roll in the sand and then they'll get up and they'll flap and they'll attack stags by flapping the sand into the stag's eyes and then attacking a stinking stag. Eagles do that. And Satan does the same to us by making us ignorant. He would do anything that we would stave away from the word of God and not experientially know God because all there is then is to absolutely pleasure the flesh. 
repent of ignorance. Folks, if you are here tonight and you are just lazy when it comes to seeking God and his word, repent of that. Repent of your ignorance and seek his face. Sin is a a desperate risk. One bite lost paradise forever. One angel's rebellion lost glory for millions. One sin lost Saul his kingdom. Can you hear those things? And think yourself more special than Adam, the angels, and kings? One sin. What's the one sin that you're cherishing? Doing a bunch of other things so that God ignores this one sin that you hold dear. Sin is filthiness in James 1. It's literally a cloudy pus. I know, I said it, it's gross. That's one of those off-limit words. Fools hang sin as ornaments, and yet they don't realize they've decorated their Christmas tree with excrement with dung, with used minstrel rags. Shudder-worthy abominations. These are words that the Bible uses. Sin is foul ingratitude. It shoots God with his own gifts. Sin is a wife who sleeps with men after her excellent husband sleeps from living all day long to bless her heart. Sin is degrading. It turns our strength and beauty to shame. It reduces kings to rotting lepers. What prisoner would boast of his shackles in his jail cell? And that's what sinners do when they boast of their sin. Sin is damage. Each sin is an infinite loss. Yes, that mathematically works when we're dealing with these spiritual realities. Every sin is loss of God. Every sin is loss of soul. Every sin is loss of joy. Sin is burden. And the burden is worse the least you feel it. The less you feel the burden of sin, guess what? That means the burden is much larger on you. Sin is death. And you can only escape this debt if your creditor dies. And guess what? He willingly went and he died for all our sins. Sin is deceit. It's a cheat. It pretends to to please us like J.L. from the Old Testament who put food in the belly of uh, ah, Ciceris. I can't remember his name. She put food in his belly and then she put a peg through his head. And that's what sin does to us. Just ask Judas how he's been enjoying his 30 pieces of silver for the last 2,000 years. Is this still on? Okay. Sin is slavery. The freedom of your will is bondage. We serve the sin as a master and slake its every lust. Romans says that sin is a law because of its binding power. Sin is malignant. It hurts the man and everyone else near him, like the black plague infecting everyone in a village. Sin is trouble, only bringing pain, distrust, and sadness. Sin is absurd. It massages our ruthless, vile enemy. Every lust 
in our heart is a fire by which Satan warms himself. Every unrepentant sinner will be damned a fool. They look wise. They look sexy. They look successful. They look admirable. And all of them eternally will be declared fools. Fools. And that is the eternal verdict. Sin is cruelty. You stab your own soul for love of sin. Sin is death. We are born dead in sins. And if sin lives, we die. Spiritually dead. Have no sensation of God. Sin without any repentance rushes to damnation. Sin's final scene in every play of every human life is always tragic. It's wages, death. Unrepentance is Russian roulette with a gun loaded, bullet in every barrel, or whatever you would call that. I'm not a gun guy. I'm not against guns. We've got, we've got a lot of them, but I don't know a lot about them. know how to shoot them. Sin is oil, and God's wrath is fire. Sinning is burning. Consider sin. And now consider the mercies of God. Romans 2, 4 says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. If you are alive right now, God is kind so you repent this instant. What private sins has God not damned immediately in your life? What awful fears has God kept from becoming realities? Has he not been patient? Has he not been kind? Israel blessed Joseph saying, Genesis 48, this is Israel. This is Jacob, which I remind my brother often. Jacob means deceiver, hill catcher. And Jacob was a bad little mamma jamma. But God chose him and loved him and saved him. And Jacob continued to fail and continued to sin and continued to rebel. But here at life's end, he says to his son and his grandsons, the God who's been my shepherd, who's fed me all my life long to this very day. You'll know that you repent when mercy makes you weep more than fear of hell and torment. I want you to consider God's painful providences. Consider the painful things in your life. Every one of those was a tender, less than you deserve warning of eternal torment. Repent. I want you to consider how much you are going to answer for at judgment if you do not repent. On that day, every sermon you've ever heard will stand as an indictment against you. But Christ, he's going to answer for all who repent. His blood will wash away all their sins. Jeremiah 50 verse 20 says, their iniquity will be sought for. People will look for Sam Musgrave's iniquity, but there will be none. And also their sins, and they will not be found. This is... Wake up in the morning and read that to yourself. 
People are going to look for your sins after judgment and they won't find them. Because they don't exist in the mind and heart of God. Judge yourself in the low court of your heart and be acquitted in the high court of heaven. Ask yourself, how will I, ju- how will I look my judge in the face? Job 31 says, what then will I do when God rises up? When he visits, what will I answer? Three last, very, uh, a couple last, very quick points. Repentance requires wise comparison of fates. Look at the repentant. Look at the unrepentant. See how life ends for them both, and then make your decision based on that. It's very easy. Bully your heart. Push it up against the wall and tell how awful sin is, how good God is, how crazy you are if you don't repent. Jesus is mine. Righteousness, riches, royalty, all that Jesus has belongs to us who repent. Oh, how the weather changes when we repent. Repentance needs determination to leave sin. Psalm 119, verse 106 says, I have sworn that I will keep your righteous judgments. It's no wonder that you who do not swear to be an enemy of sin are always defeated by it. David dropped his self-armor and declared victory in Yahweh's name. I don't come in my own name. I don't come in my own strength. I don't come in my own protection. I come because my God's fame depends on it, and we make war in his name. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. Repentance requires earnest supplication. Beg God for a repenting heart. Say, you, O Lord, command me to repent and give me grace to repent. Beg Christ to give such a look to you, a look of love as he gave Peter, which made him go out and weep bitterly. Implore the help of God's Spirit. When the wind of God's Spirit blows, the water of tears will most certainly flow. Repentance is God's gift, Acts 11. Only God can make the stony heart bleed. Why beg God for it? How can you and I beg God? For repentance. Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a heart of flesh, a responsive heart. Jeremiah 24, they will return to me with their whole heart. So why do you beg God for repentance? Because he's promised it. God has promised it. Turn his promises into prayers and say, Lord, give grace to turn your creation with a heart whole of repentance, filled with repentance. And say with Job, Job 42, after Job suffered so much, Job, who we account as such a righteous man, a godly man, and suffered so tremendously, at the end of it, He says, before all this, it was as if my ears had had heard about you. It was as I thought I knew you, and it was as if I had only heard rumors about you. 
looking back. But now, my eyes see you. Therefore, watch this. He doesn't throw his fist at God. He doesn't say, why have you made me suffer so much? He didn't slap down the victim card. He says, therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes because I see it. My prayer, my prayer, dear ones, is that you would see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So repent and believe that God is greater than all our sins and that we have remarkable victory in Christ. Father, we ask that this series, these series of messages from this wonderful work, oh God, that you would, by your Spirit, work in us grace, that repentance would work out. Father, you say that you work, and you will, for your own good pleasure, and so we ask for mercies to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Give us grace to work out what you work in, and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.